And we're going to, Lord willing, begin something today that we'll continue next week. But I want to talk to you today about blessed living. And uh, I think uh, I think Pastor Keith, maybe a, several months ago, uh, he asked the question often, how many of us want to live a blessed life? And uh, I'm going to ask the same question again today. How many of us want to live a blessed life? Now, how many of you think I'm about to begin to talk about giving today? No, I'm not going to talk about giving. But that is also how you live a blessed life. We're going to talk about blessed living the upside-down life. Blessed living the upside-down life. Jesus teaches uh, this huge sermon on Matthew chapter 5 through 7 called the Great Sermon on the Mount, where literally Jesus went up onto a hill and began to preach. Uh, really, it wasn't one sermon, but it was like, I don't know, probably a thousand sermons in that, little, that, that whole lecture he gave in Matthew 5 through 7. But it's a very powerful and unique teaching that he begins to teach. And today we're going to look at a section of that sermon called the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. The whole teaching is great. It's just powerful. But we're going to take a look at this about blessed living, uh, the upside down kind of life. And so we're just going to read the first uh, three verses here in Matthew chapter 5. And it says this, that Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is such a unique teaching here, because this is really, this isn't necessarily the beginning of Jesus' ministry although this is really the beginning of Jesus kind of stepping into the public spotlight. And now he's beginning really the radical nature of his ministry. He's beginning to teach things that are countercultural. How many of you know what countercultural means? That means like you're swimming upstream, right? You're going in a direction where everybody else isn't. And that's what Jesus did. When he began this teaching, he began to teach something that was countercultural. It was going against everything they knew, everything they understood, and everything they believed. So now, this is what makes this even more radical, is because you've got this guy who is comes out of this baptized in the Jordan River and they see the power of God fall upon him and now they see him standing up on a mountain and he's beginning to teach stuff that is going contrary to what they've been taught before. So it's this kind of upside down life. It's blessed living but an upside down life. So two things to note about the beginning of this sermon to just give us a little context. Uh, Number one, The Bible says that when he saw the crowds, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. I like how Jesus kind of waited for the right moment to begin this teaching. He waited for the crowd to begin to develop. He waited for the people to get in place. And then he was going to begin to teach them. And then he was going to begin to instruct them about this upside down life. So Jesus goes in and he begins his teachings by immediately identifying a problem in their culture by identifying a problem in their way of life and he immediately flips it over 
And so really when the Beatitudes were given, when Jesus got up on the Sermon of the Mount, it's not a coincidence that he began this sermon with the Beatitudes because what he was really doing, it was a proclamation that the kingdom of God had arrived. And it was a proclamation that what they had understood about God was upside down. So Jesus kind of goes in with this understanding and this thinking that says, look, you've thought about it this way, but I want to proclaim a, a kingdom to you that is not like you may have thought. It's upside down. It's different. It doesn't look like what you think. It's countercultural. And so immediately Jesus jumps into the first beatitude that we're going to talk about today. And he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, in this time, right, just like I think is very similar to our culture today, nobody says blessed are the poor. Don't nobody say that, right? You don't hear that coming out of people's mouth. Blessed are the poor. Oh, yeah, you're blessed. You're poor. No, you don't hear that. But what Jesus was teaching about was something different. It was contrasting. It was a different way of thinking. And so what we begin to see is how Jesus is contrasting the ways to blessedness. There's the kingdom way or there's the fleshly way, which is human attainment. And so Jesus begins to give them principles for the follow the kingdom way and not the fleshly way. The fleshly way is stuck upon the idea of human attainment, that you, you strive harder and harder, work harder, you accumulate wealth, and so therefore you're blessed. But that wasn't what Jesus was trying to teach them. And even so today, oftentimes when we use the word blessed, it has a, it has a, a reasoning in our minds that equates it to being some kind of earthly success or material possessions or being well off. Uh, it might even be that everything's going well, so therefore we say we are blessed. But today we're going to learn something today, is that everything can be going wrong and you still be blessed. Everything can be going opposite the way you think it should be, and you can still be blessed. Now blessing is going to be a little bit different than maybe what you think. And that's what we're going to uncover today. That when Jesus talked about being blessed, he wasn't talking about more possessions, more money, or, or more success. He was talking about a kingdom way of living that is contrary to the world. It's upside down. So let's look into this a little bit more. Poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This could also really be translated, blessed are the beggars in spirit. Blessed are those who have nothing in spirit. Blessed are those who are completely empty in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now something to remember about this verse here today is that this is a present tense verse. He's not saying that there's will be the kingdom of heaven. He says that those who are poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not something that's going to come. It's something that's going to happen right now. So as to look at this a little bit more, we're going to talk about the opposite of poor in spirit, and that's called self-righteousness. How many of you know what self-righteousness is? Self-righteousness is this feeling of or display of moral superiority it's derived from a sense of one's beliefs or actions or affiliations that are of a greater virtue than those are than the average person. 
It's this kind of what might has commonly been referred to as the holier-than-thou attitude. It's the attitude that looks down upon people and doesn't look into the eyes of people. It's the idea that can slip into anybody's mind. And the worst thing about self-righteousness is, is that most people who are self-righteous, and when we become self-righteous, most of the time we don't even know it. That's the danger of it. It's because when you think that you are superior, when you think that you are better, there's no one who can reason with you when you're up here. So therefore, it makes it a challenge. And so this is what Jesus was culturally countering. He went in immediately. There's, it's not a coincidence that Jesus began the Beatitudes by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, because immediately what Jesus was doing was identifying the people who were self-righteous, and he was really calling out the Pharisees because they were self-righteous. They had attitudes of self-righteous. They had very elaborate garments and they would pray prayers to be heard he talks about that later on they were very showy people but inside they didn't have what was needed the self-righteousness of the pharisees you see self-righteousness is this attitude that we all have to check our hearts for it's very closely associated with pride it's when we make ourselves feel superior to another because we feel that we have the way that is better, or we feel that we are right, or we feel that we have a realization of truth that others might not have had. And so therefore, we kind of get in this cloud up here where nobody can touch us in our minds. But that's a dangerous place to be. It's closely associated. It's, it happens a lot in 21st century American Christianity. It happens a lot when we get it into our gospel, when we look down upon people who are unbelievers instead of looking at them eye to eye and being willing to get down on our feet and serve them or on our knees and serve them. It's this idea of we are better and better than you. But that's not the idea that Jesus taught. Even though our eyes may have been open to the truth and we have the full realization of the gospel and we're following Jesus, that doesn't make us better than people. People are God's creation. People are whom God loves. And nothing about the way we are makes us better than anybody. We ought to be just be thankful that God's grace reached us when it did. It see, you see, if it's not love that compels us to share the gospel, then really it's not much of a gospel at all. If it's some kind of superiority that compels us to share the gospel, I've got something that's better and you need to listen to me, it's that kind of forceful attitude that's not full of love, then is it really a gospel at all? Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and the way he did it was by serving, by compelling himself to go low. He took the low road. Everybody else was trying to take the high road. That's what the Pharisees were known for. They're the, not the high road that we typically think of, but the high road of pride. They tried to go above and say, we're better. You need to come up to our level. You need to jump up to where we're at. But what Jesus was trying to show them was that there was a way to, uh, in the kingdom that is humble and pleasing and that you can be a servant and you can be poor in spirit and still be blessed. The idea of the time was that if you didn't have money, if you didn't have success, you were poor and you weren't blessed. You might as well have been kicked out from the culture. And that really was, there's a social stratosphere, and you can begin to unpeel this back, that there was this layer of people at the top. There was the government, there was the leaders of the temple, and then here was all the peasants down here because they didn't step up to that. 
But Jesus came in counterculturally saying that blessed are those who have nothing. I love what Spurgeon says, that he says to be spiritually poor is the condition of all men. But to be poor in spirit or to know our spiritual poverty is an attainment specially granted to the called and chosen. Sometimes believers, we take an attitude that we might be better than unbelievers because they, don't, uh, they haven't discovered the gospel yet. However, we must remember that we are all saved by grace. And it's nothing that we did it of our own ability. It's we're saved by grace and we ought to thank God. When I look at somebody and I see them stumble, I see them mess up, boy, I, I've learned in my heart, God, don't let me look down upon them because before I know it, that could be me. God, help me to open my eyes with love. Help me to get off of my self-righteousness and be poor in spirit. I want to love people. I want to express the love of God. You see, poor in spirit, the opposite of poor in spirit is self-righteousness. And then this next thing that is so important, which Jesus was also trying to get into their hearts, was to understand that until we become poor in spirit, Christ is never precious to us. Until we become poor in spirit, Christ is never precious to us. As long as our lives are filled with other stuff, as long as our lives are filled with other things, as long as we're self-righteous and proud, Christ will only be an accessory to our lifestyles and never the centerpiece. But what Jesus wants in our lives is for him to be the centerpiece, that you can be absolutely poor in spirit, having nothing, everything is taken away from you, but you are still blessed because Christ is your treasure. That's what God wants in our lives, is us to get to the point to say that, yes, I might not have anything, but I have Christ and that's all I need. To be poor in spirit is the first beatitude because this is the, the fundamental mark of the Christian. Having nothing but still being rich because of Christ. Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that the power of the gospel? Is that, man, I was lost, I was astray, I was stuck in a hole, but God's grace came and rescued me. Thank God he came and got me. I'm, I have nothing but I have Christ and so therefore I am rich. God wants us to get to the place where he is precious to us. Precious. Where when things begin to go out of your life, you begin to lose your home, you lose your family, you lose everything, you lose your job, you lose your finances. At the end of the day, you, you lay down in your bed, you say, Lord, this may not be the way I want to live, but I am content because I have you and that's enough for me. Christ is sufficient for us. And God wants us to live a blessed life living in the understanding that it is okay to be poor in spirit, that everything can be going wrong. You can have nothing and still be blessed. The third thing I want to show you about the poor in spirit, as we see here, is that it's, it's the opposite. The poor in spirit is self-righteous. Until we become poor in spirit, Christ is never precious to us. And then also this is that Jesus gives comfort for the poor in spirit. How many of you know that having nothing and being poor is not easy, right? It's difficult. It's challenging when you get to the bottom and you think, oh, my goodness, how am I going to do this? It's not easy. But Jesus gives a comfort for those who are poor in spirit. And he goes on and he immediately says something that is, once again, it's countercultural. He says to them that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What a powerful proclamation that you can have nothing. 
You can be poor in spirit. You can have absolutely nothing. Millionaires might have their money. Kings may have their riches. But Jesus says the one who has nothing, you can take comfort because you have an incomparable gift, the kingdom of heaven. And there is nothing like it and there never ever will be anything compared to it. You can lay your head down at night taking comfort that if we are poor in spirit, if we have the lowly, humble attitude of those who have nothing in soul but are rich in the kingdom, you can lay your head at night knowing God's given me the kingdom and that's all I need. That's enough for me. It's sufficient. It's enough for me to have the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I want you to repeat it after me. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven so let's go back to kind of bringing this all together what does it mean to be blessed Jesus in this beatitudes he teaches us about blessings he teaches us about blessed people about poor in spirit and we'll talk about those who mourn and though the meek and the hunger hungry and thirsty and we'll see all that but what does it really mean to be blessed? Amadis always gets on me because I ask her these deep questions uh, right before she's going to bed and she can't answer them because she's so tired. And I asked her, what does it mean to be blessed? And, and I've thought about this and I realized that God has already taught us what it means to be blessed through his word, obviously. And the definition of blessed can be summed up in this powerful verse we see here. It's called the priestly prayer in Numbers chapter 6 and verse 24. And here's what it says. It says that the Lord spoke to Moses and he said to them, I want you to speak to Aaron and his sons and I want you to say to them, thus you shall bless the Israelites and you shall say to them, notice that God called the, called the priest to go in and bless the Israelites, the troublesome Israelites, the Israelites who are just like us the rebellious people, the, the people who have problems all the time, the people just like us. And he said, I want you to go and I want you to bless the Israelites. And this is what you're going to say to them. And notice what he began to say to them. He says, I want you to say to them this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I've always loved that verse. I've always thought it's, a, I think it's a, a, we've seen, make it a song now. It's a powerful verse. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Obviously with all scripture, there is something more to it than sometimes does not meet the eye. So, Lord, I asked, I prayed, and Lord, just show me, God, what does this really mean? And I began to dig a little bit. And I noticed something, a theme throughout the scriptures, that there was prayers often. You find them in the Psalms. You find them throughout the Old Testament, that to be looked upon God when God's face was turned towards somebody. It was a sign of his favor. It was a sign of his grace upon somebody. So, really, this is a prayer that demonstrates the blessing upon the people because God was looking upon them. This was a blessing that said, because God is looking in your direction, you're blessed. Because God's eyes are upon you, you're blessed. You see, really the priestly prayer for God's face to turn, his, uh, to turn his face to the people 
was a prayer for God's direction. It was a prayer for God's attention. It was a prayer for God's protection. And it was a prayer for God's admiration. Isaiah describes God turning his face to, to away, from, uh, away from the Israelites at one point because of sin and not hearing their prayers. So in essence, what this means is that the prayer of blessing that says, Lord, make his face shine upon you. And really, the Lord lift up his countenance. Countenance in the Hebrew, it's the same word as face. And he says, basically, the Lord lift up his face. The Lord make his face shine upon you. In other words, what he was saying is, is that may God see you with his face. May he give you his attention. May he give you his direction. And may he give you his protection and admiration. In other words, may God see you and may God hear you. You see, what the, what, Jesus, or what the Lord told them to pray to bless them was this. He said, I want you to tell them I'm going to turn my face upon them. I'm going to put my countenance upon them. So in other words, spiritual blessing is when God causes his goodness to come upon us. It's, it's, no, it's when God causes the attributes that make him great and he shares them with us. He shares his grace with us. He shares his favor with us. Blessing is nothing in and of ourselves. We are not blessed because of who we are, because of our inherent nature. We're not blessed in any of that sense. We're blessed because of who God is. So in other words, when he told them to pray this, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. In other words, what he was saying was, tell them this. I want to bless them with who I am. I want to take a part of me and put it upon me, them. I want to take my favor and I want to share it with them. I want to take my grace and I want to share it with them. It was the godly attributes that makes God wonderful being shared with us. And that is still even the case today. We equate being blessed with earthly success, material possessions, or being well off. However, the Beatitudes and this High priestly prayer teaches something different, that you can have everything going wrong. You can have the whole world up against you and still be blessed because it's not the circumstances that make us blessed. It's God himself that makes us blessed. It's when his face is upon us. It's when his countenance is upon us. To be blessed is not based upon conditional circumstances. To be blessed is to have the face of God looking right upon us. And I don't know about you, but I want that in my life. I want God's face to be turned to me. I want his attention, his admiration, his protection, and his direction. This is why you can be poor in spirit and have the only thing you need, the kingdom of heaven. Because to be blessed is literally to have God's face shining right upon us. And who is sitting at the center of the kingdom of heaven? God himself. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Today I want us to pray this prayer. I want you to pray this prayer. You can find it in Numbers chapter 6. You can pray it throughout the week, verse 24 through 26. But pray, Lord, I want your face to be turned to me. I want your ears to be turned to me. Just like Isaiah said, he wasn't going to, he turned his face to them so he wasn't going to answer their prayers because of their sin. But he said, in essence, the opposite of that is to turn his ear to them and hear them. And don't we need that? The kind of blessing that the Bible talks about. 
that even in the middle of a pandemic, when everything is going wrong, when everything is opposite the way we think it should be, in the kingdom of God, it's upside down. And the Bible teaches us that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Today, I don't know what you've come here with or what you've come here not with that maybe you wish you had. But I want to encourage you today that you might not have what you hoped you have. You, you might be missing the provision you think you should have or the job you should have or whatever, the life situation. I want to encourage you today that God doesn't look at any of those things as a sign of his blessing upon you. God looks at him being in your life as his blessing upon you. God looks at him being the only treasure to you as his blessing upon you. And that is why God wants us to get to the place that sometimes God lets the whole world come up against us to strip us of all the things we thought were our treasures. So we'll get to the point where we realize that we're poor in spirit and Christ is the only rich that I need in my life, the only treasure I need. And so today I want you to stand with me. I don't know what you're struggling with today. I pray, I hope that you bring it to the Lord today. I'm going to ask that you'll close your eyes this morning. Today, maybe you're feeling poor in spirit. That's all right. That's where God wants you to be. Maybe you're feeling discouraged or disheartened. Don't be discouraged or disheartened by the way things are not working around you. Be encouraged knowing that you are blessed because God's face is upon you. His goodness, His mercy, His grace, His favor, all the things that makes God wonderful because of who He is. And so today I want to invite you where you're at. Maybe you want to kneel. Maybe you want to lift your hands. But I want you today to make the Lord your total treasure. You say, Lord, I've come here with nothing today. I feel empty. I feel like, God, I don't know where to go. Lord, I want to look to you. You're my treasure. You're my hope. Lord, when I realized that I lost it all, I realized that at the end of it, when I hit rock bottom, you were there. And you're the only treasure I need. So, Lord, I pray today, Lord, would you bless us? Would you keep us? Would you make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us? Would you lift up your countenance upon us and give us peace today, Lord? Give us peace today. Give us peace with knowing we're poor in spirit, but blessed in the kingdom of heaven. Empty, but knowing we're full and rich in Christ. Lord, I pray today, God, that we would make you the center of our affections and hope, Lord. God, maybe we've been chasing after other things. We've made some other things more important than you. Lord, today we want to make it right with you and say, Lord, I don't want to pursue those things anymore. I want you to be my treasure today, God. Lord, I might not have it, the things I need right now to, to make it, Lord, but I'm going to come running to you, Lord, because I know, God, you're my provider. You're going to make a way. You're going to help me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, you said, Lord, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You said right now today, Lord, I don't want to wait till tomorrow. God, I want to experience the kingdom today. 
And so, Father, we pray, send your blessing upon us, Lord. Not earthly blessing, how we might understand it, but heavenly blessing, grace, favor, your goodness upon us today, Lord. God, we thank you this morning. We give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The choir's going to sing. I want to invite you. Pray where you're at. Kneel. Lift up your hands. Let's worship the Lord. Let's make him our treasure, our hope today, our affection.